sermon podcast of Paley Presbyterian Church. The following sermon is by the Reverend Douglas Cornelius. This week we begin a four-week series on God's promise. God's promise to us. It may be something that you've heard your whole life, that God has made a promise to God's people, to our world. Uh, It may be news that that happened. It's something that you're not familiar with. Either way, I think exploring it over these next four weeks will lend new insights and new perspective, uh, even to something that we may have known for a very long time. We begin uh, thinking about God's promise way back at the beginning of the Bible in Genesis chapter 15. This is Genesis chapter 15, selected verses beginning with verse 5. Hear the word of the Lord. The Lord brought Abram outside and said, look toward heaven and count the stars if you're able to count them. Then he said to Abram, so shall your descendants be. And he believed the Lord. And the Lord reckoned it to him as righteousness. Then the Lord said to him, I am the Lord who brought you from Ur of the Chaldeans to give you this land to possess. But he said, O Lord God, how am I to know that I shall possess it? He said to him, bring me a heifer three years old, a female goat three years old, a ram three years old, a turtle dove and a young pigeon. He brought him all these and cut them in two, laying each half over against the other. But he did not cut the birds in two. And when the birds of prey came down on the carcasses, Abram drove them away. When the sun had gone down and it was dark, a smoking fire pot and a flaming torch passed between these pieces. On that day, the Lord made a covenant with Abram, saying to your descendants, I give this land and the river of Egypt to the great river, the river Euphrates. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Please pray with me. Gracious God, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts be acceptable in thy sight, O Lord, our strength and our Redeemer. Amen. If you are making a promise or striking up an agreement with a friend or with a business partner or business associate, you meet to discuss the details, you go over the particulars, and once an agreement has been reached you may shake on it. You shake on it. It's one of our cultural ways of signifying that an agreement has been reached. Both parties understand their part in the promise that they are making to one another. It's sealed with a handshake. If a star player enters into contract negotiations with a team, he or she will bring their agent and a team of lawyers to work with the franchise and all of their lawyers. 
and they hash out that contract. A contract where the player promises to play for that team and abide by their demands and their bylaws and their rules. And in the same way, the team will vow to pay that player X amount of money. And we know in many of our sports that X is a very large amount of money, right? And they seal the agreement, the contract, with a signature. The player signs on the dotted line. The cameras are there to catch it and take pictures. And we know that an agreement has been reached. When two people love one another, and they want to spend their whole lives committed to one another, it is common in our culture and in many cultures around the world to have a marriage ceremony. Now, these can look quite different from culture to culture, but most of them will involve an exchange of vows, a set of promises that each person makes to the other, that are witnessed by all those who are gathered and by their God. And many times those vows are sealed with, with rings and with a kiss. And everyone claps, and maybe mom has some tears in her eyes, and maybe dad's wallet is empty, I don't know. <laughs> but we all see that exchange of rings and vows, we see the kiss, and we know that an agreement has been reached, a covenant relationship has been entered into. Now, you may not have ever struck a business deal in your life. You may have never been a star player signed to a team. You may never have been married, but the fact is you would know those promises when you saw them. We recognize them as agreements, as deals, as arrangements, as contracts, as covenants. We recognize them because they're familiar to us. We know what they look like. And when we see a handshake, when we see someone sign on the dotted line, when we see a couple kiss, we know promises have been made. And we know what those look like. And we look at our text from Genesis 15 this morning, and we are lost. A bizarre scene from Genesis. We can't tell if it's vision or reality. There's something about animals being cut in half, and it feels gruesome and strange. And we might not know that an agreement has been struck. A deal has been made. A covenant relationship has been entered into because there's no handshake, there's no signature, there's no vows, there's no kiss. We might not realize what this is because this, this is different to us. This is different. And the covenant, it's not a work contract. It's actually not really a marriage either. It's a covenant between God and the man from whom God's people would be birthed, Abram. So it's essentially a covenant between God and God's people. And that covenant has always been at its very foundation, I will be your God and you will be my people. 
I will be your God and you will be my people. Now, there are other promises in the text. There are things about land and things about descendants and all that. But at the heart of it, at the heart of this promise is I will be your God and you will be my people. That is the base of our covenant relationship with God. And to understand our text this morning, we have to understand how covenants worked in the ancient Near East. Thousands upon thousands of years ago, half a world away, when a covenant was struck, two parties would gather all sorts of beasts and livestock, things that were valuable to them, right? They had financial value to them. And they would take these beasts and they would cleave them in half. Here is an artist's tame and sanitized depiction of it. That's Abram there in the middle, and he's chasing away the scavenger birds that are coming for the carcasses, as verse 11 tells us he did. It's a bit gruesome to our modern sensibilities, but it was what it was. And the gathering and the execution of the animals is a way that both parties can show they are committed to this agreement. And yes, if you're wondering if this bloody scene of slain animals and fire and smoke, if you're wondering if it prefigures the sacrificial system that would come in later in the Old Testament, yes, it does. Good catch. But it's not in place as of yet. Here we just see the first hint of it. And so after the two parties have cut the animals in half, they would line them up one after another, and these sets of halves would form sort of an aisle that could be walked down, right? When these halves were set next to one another, they would form an aisle, and each party would literally walk through the beasts, through the heart of the animals, in between their separated halves. It's a bit graphic, but it's important. And here's why. The purpose of the animals in this covenant was not just to show that a sacrifice, a financial investment is being made. The purpose of the slain animals was actually much more significant as each party walked down the aisle between the separated halves of animals, they were saying, they were essentially vowing to one another, if I break this covenant, may this happen to me. These animals, slain and separated, served as a sort of gruesome symbol for the promise being made. If I go back on this promise, if I break this contract, if I forsake and am unfaithful to this covenant, may the fate of these animals be my own fate. May this happen to me. If I break this promise, may my very life be forfeit. These are high stakes, the highest. And then each party, with that promise and that understanding in place, each party would walk down that bloody aisle. And as they passed through the beasts, the vows were made. It's not as clean as a signature or as friendly as a handshake or as romantic as a kiss, but it definitely places a premium on keeping that promise. I mean, this was not just your word. 
your sentiment, your, your good intentions. This was your life. Your life hung in the balance. This is different. This is a different sort of promise. And that has been our covenant with God since day one. You will be our God. We will be your people. And if we ever stop being your people, if we ever turn our backs on you, if we forsake you and we break this covenant, we break this promise, then may it mean death for us. Our lives will be forfeit. And God walks down that aisle. And we walk down that aisle and the promise is made, the deal is struck, the covenant is entered into, except, except that's not what happened, is it? That's not what happened at all. Verse 17, a smoking pot of fire passes through the beasts. Now, fire is always a symbol for God, for the divine. God is present in fire. God speaks out of fire loads of times in Scripture. This smoking pot of fire, well, this is God. We know it. This is God. And God walks right down that aisle and makes his promise to us. You will be my people. And now it's Abram's turn. Abram has to walk through the beasts and promise that we will be God's people. That if we go another way or worship something else, if we break our promise to God, may this happen to us. May our lives be forfeit. May we be broken from life itself. And it's Abram's turn to go, his turn to walk down that aisle, and he doesn't do it. He doesn't do it. Because before he can, a sword set ablaze with fire passes down the aisle for the second go. Before Abram can go and take his turn, a sword passes through the second time, and that is different. That's not how it's supposed to go. This is different. God walks down the aisle a second time. God walks down the aisle in our place. See, because God knows. God knows thousands of years before a baby is ever born in a manger in Bethlehem. Thousands of years before that baby would grow and teach us and heal us and show us a better way. Thousands of years before that same man, the very son of God, would be arrested and put on trial. Thousands of years before all that, here at the beginning of the covenant, the beginning of the relationship, when the promise is made, God knows we won't keep it. We're not going to keep it. God knows that we will find a myriad of ways to break that promise, to enter into sin, to worship something else, to 
forsake this relationship. God knows. And by walking down that a second time, by taking our turn to walk down that gruesome aisle, God is looking at every single one of us, at all of his people, and saying, when, when you break this covenant, may this happen to me instead. May this happen to me instead. This is the gracious promise of God. This is God's promise to God's people. A promise that God is willing to make and a promise that God is willing to keep for both sides. And right from the start, right from the start of God's promise to us, we can see that as promises go, this is different. This one is different. We'll continue to explore it in coming weeks. Amen. Let us pray. Lord God, it is with grateful hearts that we are gathered in this place today, recognizing you as a covenant God, a God who makes promises, a God who fulfills those promises, a God who is with us day by day, a God in whom we can trust. Lord God, we worship you today. And we are grateful for the promises that you have made to us. The promises that have been fulfilled. And the promises that we can trust. Or we do recognize that far too often we fall short in our part of that. Yet your grace is sufficient. The hope that is ours through the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ gives us hope. Hope that in spite of all that we might see in the world in which we live, that you are King of kings and Lord of lords. You are the supreme sovereign, the one in whom we can place our trust and our confidence. Lord God, we're grateful for that reminder today. We're grateful for the invitation to trust you in the midst of trying and challenging times. Lord, as we gather here in this place, we recognize that in a congregation this size, there are numerous challenges and difficulties, physical, relational, and other sorts. Lord, we lift them up to you today, recognizing that you are greater than the circumstances of our lives, that we can trust you, that we can depend on you, that you can bring hope where it doesn't seem possible, New life where it doesn't seem like it can come. Restoration where it's unfathomable. We thank you, Lord God, for this reminder today. We thank you for the ways in which you are at work among us. We thank you that we can join together praying as Jesus taught us, saying, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done 
on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen.